Welcome to the New Books Network. Good day. Welcome to Arguing History, a podcast channel on New Books Network. My name is Dr. Charles Cotillo of the Royal Historical Society. I am a host on the channel. And today I'm pleased, indeed honored, to have with us Professor Jeremy Black. Professor Black is Professor Emeritus in the Department of History at Exeter University. He is without a doubt the most prolific historian writing in the Anglophone world today, having written well over 150 books. And today we are discussing America and the West in Afghanistan, 2001 to the present. Welcome, Professor Black. Hello. Professor, uh, going back to 2001, would you say that there were any options that the Americans did not uh, pursue or chose not to pursue circa September, October 2001 in um, response to the um, attack of September 11, 2001? Well, I think they made the right decision to try and hit back at a terrorist network that um, had obviously not just staged very damaging attacks, but also uh, where there was every indication that these would not be the end of their uh, of their policy. Um, and in a sense, the original response was quite proportionate in the sense that the Americans provided, as you know, in um, late 2001, air power, special forces and money, uh, all of which um, helped to lead to the overthrow of the Taliban government and therefore the isolation uh, of the terrorist networks. But what the American government did not do at that stage, and in my view quite rightly, was commit significant numbers of forces. The American, I'm sorry, the initial American policy in Afghanistan, late 2001, early 2002, I suppose, did not uh, at that time call for something which was subsequently labeled as nation building. Was um, that, in your, to your mind, a mistake or, in fact, uh, was the best policy to pursue subsequently? Well, I think that was the best policy to pursue, given that the intention was to destroy a terrorist network and not to try and take on what was, uh, without doubt, an extraordinarily difficult and probably impossible task. Um, I think you'll find that the, um, the um, in a sense, with Afghanistan, you subsequently get a reading of a perception of what ought to have happened in Iraq, or what ought to happen in Iraq, into a different context. But if you just isolate the Afghan case, um, there didn't appear to be um, any particular reason to take over the government of such a large area. So, um, uh, in retrospect, uh, having overthrown the Taliban in late 2001, what should the Americans have done at the, the Americans slash the West have done at that point? Uh, should they just well, step he... back and allow things in the Afghanistan to um, develop as uh, they would or would not? Well, there's several questions there. I mean, you're asking me what I think should happen. That's I mean, it's easy to sound wise in hindsight. I ought to say at the time, um, I was opposed to the notion that it was sensible to seek to direct the politics of Afghanistan. So in my view, the target for the United States was the um, Al-Qaeda network. 
and that that was what a war on terror meant. Um, I think it was a um, disproportionate attempt once you've got the desire to replace uh, the Taliban in the long term and then to prop up whichever government uh, was put in its place. So in effect, perhaps the best American policy or Western policy at that point in time, in late 2001, early 2002, was uh, to follow, um, I suppose, British policy in the latter stages and afterwards of the Second Anglo-Afghan War. Uh, well, that's what I would have done. Let me make it clear. The British made lots of mistakes in their handling, both of Afghanistan across time, but also they were not, um, all, as you know, always successful either in interventionist warfare or, or in counterinsurgency warfare. So I don't want to come across as some smart British brat, as it were, saying this is what the Americans should have done. Um, what I would rather say is that from the perspective of America and American strategy in the early 2000s, and I think this remained the case throughout the Afghan commitment, and it was a major reason why both President Trump and President Biden uh, wanted to wind it down, uh, was precisely this sense that this was an open-ended commitment and one that was distracting from America's other concerns. So on both of those heads, I think it was very unwise in the first place to get into it. And as I've said, that's what I, um, you know, that's what I said at the time. I was rather surprised. I thought I might do a little bit of prep. And I actually pulled down off the shelves a book which I published in the United States, Insurgency and Counterinsurgency. And I see that in that um, uh, I wrote... Um, the um, about the weaknesses of the Afghan National Army, um, its combat effectiveness, its reliance on Western air, air power, etc., etc., um, and the difficulty of creating a meaningful national army there. And I mean, all of that was pretty obvious from the word go. So I mean, the, the going in, the destruction or weakening of a terror network and then leaving um, were the most sensible things. Um, if the Americans had wanted to restrict their then subsequent support um, to uh, a, a non-Taliban government, to special forces and air power, fair enough. But um, the idea that this should be a major long-term commitment, I think, was unwise to put it like that, and it dramatically reduced both the local, the regional, and the international, more wider international geopolitical options for the United States. So in, uh, in retrospect, the criticism which was um, hurled at the Bush regime from two roughly 2004 to 2009, uh, that by invading Iraq, the Americans and their allies have, quote, taken their eye off the ball vis-a-vis -vis Afghanistan is, from your perspective, somewhat irrelevant because uh, whether the eyes on the ball are off, there was, from a strategic aspect, um, no point really in involving, deeply involving the Americans in Afghanistan in the first place. Well, again, I don't, you know, just to say I'm not being wise in hindsight, this, this is what I wrote. 
The Americans have adopted contradictory military and political approaches in 2001, lacked a viable strategy, not least because the opportunity for incorporating the Taliban into the political system was not probed. Uh, the unpopularity of the corrupt and ineffective government of Han Hamid Karzai, president from 2004 to 2014. I mean, those sort of points, and we, we can go on uh, at length, uh, are, as you correctly say, the Iraqi issue is irrelevant from that point of view. Uh, if the, you know, the notion that if the Americans had put in an extra X number of troops, then therefore there would have been a different outcome in Afghanistan is, I think, extraordinarily problematic, which is academic code word, as you know, for deeply flawed or utter rubbish, whatever phrase you wish to use. Um, uh, the, it wasn't a wise decision, just as it was based on a very flawed assessment of the nature of, Amer of, of Afghan society, uh, of Afghan resilience. Ironically, although very differently, because I so happen to think the American intentions were good and moral, and, and from that point of view, it's a tragedy that so much uh, effort was wasted. But if you look at it in terms of a malign, I so happen to think the Americans were benign, just foolish. If you look at it from a perspective of a malign uh, ideology, so I'm not suggesting any equivalence here, that was the Al-Qaeda attacks on New York and Washington. That also was based on a naive assessment of a society um, to wit the idea that the United States would be uh, crippled and demoralized by these attacks. Uh, as we know, it made the Americans resolute and much more determined. So um, there was a misreading of American society. Um, and in a different context, I'm afraid there was a misreading by the British as well. You know, let's not put all the blame on the Americans. There was a misreading of the potential for creating a new order in Afghanistan. Now, from that perspective, the um, uh, Obama surge of 2009-2011, where the Americans and their allies increased uh, by a factor, I believe, two or three in terms of absolute numbers, their forces in Afghanistan and launched um, offensives to uh, roll back the Taliban's positions as it was then, uh, is also, from, from your point of view, grossly mistaken. Would that be a correct assessment of uh, your, your point of view concerning that? Yes. I mean, as you say, under Obama, the American force level rose from about 30,000 men to about 98,000 men, and that certainly helped stabilize uh, the military situation, notably in uh, the provinces of Helmand and Kandahar. But its capacity to uh, create a permanent change was, to put it mildly, very, very limited. And from again, from your perspective, uh, the criticism that uh, the Obama surge had from people like uh, General David Petraeus, among others, that uh, the surge should have actually not had a time limitation is also irrelevant or just badly mistaken, correct? Uh, no, I wouldn't go that far. But let's declare public limitation very So there, with Obama, you get uh, an issue rather like the ones you've had with both Trump and Biden, which is, um, I so happen to think both President Trump and President Biden were wise 
to decide to uh, move American ground forces out of Afghanistan, but I don't think either of them handled it terribly well. So you've got the difference between strategy and implementation. Uh, I used to happen to think that the Obama strategy was deeply flawed, but I also think its implementation was um, uh, wrong. There could have been no sustainable success on the timescale he gave, but I don't think uh, there was really very much... Uh, that the Americans could have done. I mean, bear in mind, if you're looking at counterinsurgency, one of the classic things of counterinsurgency, and, you know, again, I refer you to my book on the subject, is having the problem of a neighbor that is hostile. So that, for example, with the French uh, fighting in northern Vietnam against the Viet Minh, once China uh, was taken over by the communists in 49, but for the Americans and the South Vietnamese, uh, fighting the Viet Cong when you've got a hostile North Vietnam for the, to the north. It was extraordinarily difficult to conceive of an adequate long-term solution to Afghanistan, given that Pakistan was hostile. And um, the hostility of Pakistan, the willingness of both the army and the intelligence service to support Islamist radicals, including to allow the Taliban to base themselves in Pakistan, and as we know, to give shelter to Osama bin Laden himself. Um, you no, know, it made it extraordinarily difficult to work out what the Americans thought they were going to do in the long-term strategy. Um, if you think about it, Pakistan was hostile. On to the west, there was Iran. Iran was hostile. It was an extraordinarily difficult task for any counterinsurgency struggle. Was there any way or method of uh, making the Trumpian-Biden endgame of pulling out more successful than it, that uh, turned out to be? Well, I don't know that. Um, I mean, I personally think that it was not handled brilliantly. Again, I think the problem was twofold. One, the timetable and issue, and two, um, the assumption the assumptions that played a role. One, that the Taliban could, um, once the timetable had been issued, be corralled into an American uh, narrative. And secondly, that the um, Afghan National Army would succeed. So I think both of those were flawed. On the other hand, it has to be said that given the deteriorating strategic environment at the global level for the United States, the uh, expansionism of China, the increasing uh, armed irrationality of North Korea, uh, concerns about Iran, given all of those factors, uh, a dramatic reduction at speedily of the commitment to Afghanistan was very sensible. Would you agree with what I would label the essentialist argument about Afghanistan history, which is that uh, no great power, British, Soviets, or Americans, are able to um, or possibly have a success, a durable success, due to various aspects of uh, Afghanistan's history, culture, geography, etc.? Well, I think that's very interesting, and I'd like to look at this several different ways. You can certainly have short-term success. I mean, the Americans were successful in 2001, and um, the Soviets were successful in 1979, and having disastrously withdrawn from uh, Kabul in the first Anglo-Afghan War, the British managed to get back again and to take Kabul. 
in that conflict. So you can have short-term success, but short-term success is often linked to saying, you know, we've won, now chaps, let's go home. Um, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, there are major problems um, in Afghanistan. Incidentally, not just with resisting foreign invasion, which is what we're talking about, but also with resisting central control. Um, so it's not just foreigners in, in inverted commas that are the issue. I mean, it's got a low density of population. It's got a very variegated ethnic and religious pattern. Um, it's got a mountainous, ter mountainous terrain that's acted against the idea of national identity. Um, I mean, I remember I spent a month there. Uh, it is very, very apparent when you're on the ground um, that, uh, you know, geographically, Afghanistan is very divided by its terrain as well as uh, human geography in the form of its ethnicity. Uh, there's a strong tradition of local political activism. And that ensures that when you're talking about insurrectionary or counter-insurrectionary warfare, what you're really talking about is a number of local and regional struggles and issues, and not necessarily national ones. I mean, national cohesion doesn't really develop till the late 19th century, I would say. And, um, I mean, you might argue that's true of other states. And, yep, I wouldn't disagree with that. But then many other states which are um, newly formed, if you like, or relatively recently formed, have also had significant problems with countering um, regional or other disaffection. One can think of Sudan, for example. Um, but I think one of the great problems, and as you know, I've written about this quite a lot, and I've in fact got coming out with Yale, a new short history of war, is the great problem in military terms between output and outcome. Output in terms of seizing cities, defeating opponents, winning battles can be done. Uh, it's difficult. I'm not saying it's easy, but it can be done. But one has got to be very wary of assuming that from output necessarily comes the outcome that one anticipates. Now, in the specific case of Afghanistan, there are factors that make it even harder. But I would argue there is a more general equation of problem uh, in the assumption that you go almost automatically from output to outcome. Now, there was recently, maybe you heard of or even read the article in the New York Times, a piece by one of the chief commanders of the I suppose now you can say former Afghan army. And his argument, in essence, was that it was not so much a question of the Afghan army lacking um, military ethos to uh, hold off the Taliban, so much as the fact that the Afghan army was very much built in the American style, and that included an extensive usage. I think he put the number about ten, maybe even 15,000, contractors to uh, run the logistics for the Afghan army and that um, when Biden decided to pull everyone out that included all these contractors and the Afghans at short notice had no way of replicating the logistical system that the Americans had uh, built for them. Yes, I mean I think first of all one's got to be cautious about um, uh, as it were, sweeping statements about Afghan fighting um, quality or determination. 
Uh, it certainly wasn't of the level that you saw in South Vietnam in 1975, when a stronger resistance was mounted to the North Vietnamese attack. And we now are much more inclined to emphasize South Vietnamese fighting determination than in the past. I think one of the problems in Afghanistan was that there was a fundamentally corrupt government that finance was not directed adequately to just the simple act of paying the troops, that as happened in 2001, rather brilliantly used by the Americans then, the provision of a sense both money and a sense that things were about to change, just as that helped to precipitate a rapid fall of the Taliban government. So the opposite played a significant role this year. I mean, as it were, local political alliances were re-knit. Um, as far as the um, article you're concerned, I haven't actually read it, um, but as far as its argument is concerned, yes, there are always problems if you are running a, a joint force. And there are always um, issues if you are relying on complementarity. So if you're the Afghans and you're relying on a degree of assistance from American air power, at least American maintenance of aircraft, and that maintenance is withdrawn, then you're in real serious problems. Um, uh, but looked at in other light, war is about sort of, you know, as it were, making do. Um, very few generals will ever say to you, oh, yes, I've got everything I want. <laughs> I feel perfectly assured of the, uh, of the uh, sensible instructions I'm receiving and the supplies I'm, I'm obtaining. I mean, that is not uh, how things uh, tend to be. Um, I'm not convinced that the Americans adequately understood, or the British, adequately understood the weakness of the situation and the, the fragility of the forces they had created. But equally, as I've tried to suggest all along, this was about politics as a both within Afghanistan and outside Afghanistan. This was about politics as well as what more narrowly, and in my view foolishly, are defined as uh, specifically military factors, because the political factors and the military factors obviously overlap and interact. Um, so yes, I wouldn't disagree with what the, your, the general you cite quote, but I would say that's not an exhaustive account of the situation. Any last words on the subject? Yes, I think a lot of last words on the subject. I mean, very briefly, you and I know how, and Afghanistan exemplifies this, um, how the past uh, is readily commodified in order to produce clear uh, conclusions, apparently, for the present and the future. So that um, just as issues such as Suez or Munich or Vietnam, and people didn't need to say anything other they felt than those, were commodified accordingly, and in the case of Afghanistan, the British retreat from Kabul in the first Anglo-Afghan war. So this instance will be used again, and it will be used for all sorts of reasons, political, 
to argue incompetence on the part of the Biden administration and military to argue in terms of the limitations of um, interventionist warfare or conversely that one needs to provide even more resources. I mean, my own view for what it is worth is that one needs to stress the non-linear character of uh, military affairs. In other words, what has just happened in Afghanistan is no necessary guide to what, may, what might happen in the event of a confrontation, which would likely to be extraordinarily different, but a confrontation between, shall we say, America and um, North Korea. Uh, what I think you can argue is, and you know, I would label labor this point about the difference between output and outcome. What it does show is the need to think in strategic terms and the importance of not regarding military operations as an answer to the strategic dilemmas. There are serious strategic dilemmas for the United States and for the United States as leader of the free world and therefore for other powers within the world, other peoples within the world that look uh, to American leadership or benefit from America's power. There is a major change, a major um, alteration uh, in global power politics. Um, the most obvious instance of that is in East Asia. But I would also add that demographic trends, particularly the very rapid rise in the population of Africa, poses also issues that are likely to ensure large-scale instability in many countries. Now, given that that is the case, it is more and more necessary that the United States, like other powers, that the Americans quintessentially, because they're the most uh, important of these powers, prioritize carefully and have an informed public debate. And things like the New Books Network are important because they're part of an informed debate, particularly when you ask tough questions of your, of your academics or your other writers, which you do, Charles. Because all too often, I'm afraid to say, and the same in Britain as in the United States, is rather low-grade analyses are run out on topics like geopolitics or war or whatever, and they just get given facile questions in newspaper interviews or in book festivals or whatever. What one should expect at all levels is the highest and most careful analysis, one that is well-informed and judicious, and that is what serving soldiers deserve uh, from their home society. And it is not always what they have received. On that observation, which I would like to agree with entirely, allow me to thank you very much, Professor Black, for being so kind as to speak with us today. This is Charles Cotillo. Thanks for listening to Arguing History, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Thank you, Professor Black. Thank you very much.